All right. Greetings, golf lovers. Um, on this episode of the podcast, uh, I was lucky enough to have Bo Links, the co-founder of the San Francisco Public Golf Alliance, uh, to come and discuss with me the fascinating story about Sharp Park Golf Course. Uh, it's a public golf course owned by the city of San Francisco, but located uh, in the town of Pacifica, which is you know just a suburb of San Francisco, uh, just a few minutes south uh, that sits on the coast. So uh, before I continue to bumble on, uh, without any further delay, uh, here is Mr. Bo Links on another episode of the Golf Guide Podcast. Awesome. Okay, well, Bo, um, I, I do really, again, appreciate you uh, coming on and joining us. So for uh, anybody who's listening and is unfamiliar with you or uh, um, your cause or, you know, the why we have you on the podcast today. You are the co-founder of the San Francisco Public Golf Alliance. And would you mind sharing with the people kind of what uh, went into you founding this organization, kind of what the core uh, mission of the Public Golf Alliance is? Sure, I'd be happy to, Kyle. Uh, Richard Harris, who is my colleague in all of this, and I felt about 10, 12 years ago that there were certain conditions in the city that at least said to us that public golf is in danger. There are a lot of people here who don't understand our game, don't understand the values, um, maybe perhaps don't appreciate that it's 500 years old and something that endures that long, uh, I submit, endures for a reason. Um, and it couldn't possibly last that long if it wasn't something that was awfully, awfully good. And so Rich and I decided we were going to stand up for the public golf courses. Um, and, you know, of course, we were both involved uh, supporting Sandy Tatum's effort to restore Harding Park, which is nothing short of magnificent. It's mm -hmm. done great things for the city in terms of the events it's attracted, the players who've come, the economy, all the excitement. Anybody who saw Tiger and John Daly go around that track with everybody else chasing after him knows what I'm talking about. Absolutely. And then, and then uh, you know, Rich and I, both for years and years, and we've known each other for over 40 years. And it's amazing. He went to Stanford. I went to Cal. So here we are. Dead <laughs> fellows now. Anything can happen. But Friends in unlikely we, places. We both fell in love, as did a lot of other people, with Sharp Park. I've been playing there for over 50 years. So is Rich. And all you have to do is walk around the course one time, even though it perhaps is in what one might describe as shabby condition. Sure. Um, there's something about it. And I will tell you, it's real. Um, every golf course architect that I've been out there with, and I've been out there with a lot of them, feels it the minute they set foot on the property. Um, and that's something that Alistair McKenzie did when he designed the golf course. Now, I have to back up a little bit, and I'll get to the Public Golf Alliance in a minute. Sure, absolutely. That, that, that when I played there as a kid... In the early 60s, I didn't know anything about Alistair McKenzie, but I knew that, doggone it, this was a pretty cool little golf course. All the little creeks winding around, the way the holes played, the way they fit your eye. Um, and it wasn't that the course was super hard, but more importantly, it was super fun. Mm -hmm. And there was, again, there's something about it. And as I uh, matured, grew older, and uh, went off to school, came back home, um, you know, I obviously went down and revisited the place, and it still had the same charm. And then I stumbled on this McKenzie connection. And I'm going to return to that in a minute, but <clears throat> when Rich and I sensed that there was going to be an environmental attack on that golf course, we knew that we had to organize the golfers. It, it couldn't be just us two guys standing up alone. Mm -hmm. And that's why we formed, and that's when we formed, the San Francisco Public Golf Alliance. The, if you want the, the, the slogan for it, it's we want to promote uh, diverse, affordable, accessible, environmentally friendly golf for everybody. That's, that's what it's about, and it's about preserving these golf courses. And what people really, uh, I think the golfers appreciate it, but I don't know if the non-golfers do as, as much <laughs> as we'd like, and we work on that every day, um, that, that what San Francisco has in terms of its public golf course properties, it's got the equivalent to all the wings in the Louvre 
um, these are works of art and they're world class. And I say that now as someone who's been around the world and has played all these golf courses. They're world class. Mm-hmm. And, and there was one architect who will remain nameless, but believe me, very well known and has built courses that our listening audience has played and know and love. Turned to me when he, when he was at Sharp, we were walking around, he says, does the city understand what it has here? Now, this was probably six years ago. And I said, you know, I don't think they do. I think our job is to teach them what's here and to teach them the values so that they'll be willing to preserve it. And that's really what the Public Golf Alliance is about. And now we've got over 6,500 members and growing. And uh, it's a formidable organization that is doing a lot of good things and standing up for a very good cause. And, you know, the the main... uh, object right now is saving Sharp Park and working to see that it's restored to its full Mackenzie glory. Which is unbelievable. And like I said, it sounds like it would take every single one of the 6,500 of you uh, to kind of get to the point where you guys are today. Uh, And that is, you know, with, you know, uh, I think I I saw a quote from you in an article uh, regarding Sharp Park and the recent uh, decision by the San Francisco Board of Supervisors and that there's still a long way to go to get to that eventual returning Sharp Park to its former glory, but at least now the wind is at our back. Um, and so w- when you say that, do you mind going over uh, with some of the folks who are listening? So when you say you wanted to save Sharp Park, uh, for those who aren't familiar with the situation, what exactly were you saving Sharp Park from? Well, there was a contention by what we believe were some very misguided and misinformed so-called environmentalists that the operation of the golf course was imperiling two uh, endangered species, the California red-legged frog and the San Francisco garter snake. And those species are down there, not so much on the golf course, but adjacent to it. And what, what makes this so crazy, Kyle, is that what Alistair McKenzie did when he created this golf course is he took a desolate, barren, salt marsh it was literally labeled salt valley on united states geologic survey maps wow and he blocked off the salt water created a freshwater lake and turned it into essentially a freshwater paradise it was that transformation that not only allowed the golf course to be built and protected from the sea but that's what created the habitat because the red-legged frog and the garter snake are freshwater species. They can't exist in a saltwater environment. So they're there, and they are there, mm-hmm. happily. We're glad they're there. And they're thriving, and we're glad they're thriving. But the point is, the reason they're there, the reason they're thriving is the golf course, not in spite of it. Sure. And, and the fact is that, that Sharp Park has been there on the ground in operation now for 85 years, and there's been this peaceful coexistence with golf and nature as there should be. Mm-hmm. And the environmentalists attacked that, and we beat them at every turn. We beat them in federal district court. We beat them in federal appellate court. We beat them in the San Francisco Superior Court. We beat them in the San Mateo Superior Court. And so we fended off the legal challenges. There were also some environmental challenges. And to show you how this thing evolves, and, and I will get to the capstone of this Board of Supervisors vote. Sure. Uh, uh, the city of Pacifica recognized Sharp Park as an historic site. The San Francisco Planning Department about three or four years ago uh, certified it as a, an historical resource. When we were fighting fights at the California Coastal Commission, no easy body to get through. <laughs> we succeeded in having them declare Sharp Park as an endangered, affordable, coastal recreational resource of historic magnitude. Okay? Mm-hmm. Then we now come full circle to the San Francisco Recreation and Park Department, which we've been working with for all these years, and they've got a tremendous staff, unbelievable work those people do. And they were preparing and working on a master plan for all the city's parks, Golden Gate Park, Miraloma Park, Mark Davidson Park, every park in the city, Mm -hmm. including Sharp Park, which the city owns 
although it's a little bit down the coast in Pacifica. The city of San Francisco owns that golf course. Right. So they come up with this, what they call their significant natural areas management plan. It's, it's their program for the next 20 years or more, how to deal with these natural areas. And you have to realize there are, are forested areas that they have a jurisdiction over that have never been managed. They've never done any tree trimming or pruning. They just grow wild, and it's now become a danger because it hasn't been managed. So they needed a management plan, sure. and that required an environmental impact report. And this process, it's hard to believe this is true. It took over 10 years to do all that, okay? And that came to a head last December when the planning department certified it and the recreation and park department adopted it. And then the same people who fought the golf course filed an appeal to the board of supervisors, which could theoretically start the whole process all over again. That hearing on whether the board of supervisors would accept the appeal was set for February the 28th. Well, Richard and I organized the golf community and the non-golf community. The Board of Supervisors got almost a thousand letters from all across the city, every district, every spectrum you could imagine, as diverse as it comes. And they couldn't believe how much public support there was for this golf course. And at the end of the day, the environmentalists folded their tent, withdrew their appeal, and essentially walked away. There was a very, very minor compromise about doing something in the lagoon that is irrelevant to our future plan to restore the golf course. So, so we win, they lose. But it's more <laughs> important than that. It's more important than that. Uh, what but... the EIR did, Kyle, and this is for the audience, okay. what the EIR did was it is now the official policy of the city and county of San Francisco that Sharp Park is an historic resource that must be preserved, okay? Mm -hmm. And before any habitat work is done that could alter the golf course, the city has to bring in the right architectural pro professionals to assure that the Alistair McKenzie features are maintained, okay? That's about as good as it gets for us. You bet. And, and to show you how complete this was for us. And, and, you know, I mentioned about reaching out to the golf community and the non-golf community. You have to realize that the Board of Supervisors, I don't know if any of the 11 supervisors actually plays golf, okay? And this is something, you know, I commend to people. Don't just talk to golfers. Talk to non-golfers mm -hmm. and teach them about our game. Having said that, so we're there. We do our presentation, and one of the supervisors, uh, whose name is Asha Safai, who's a really smart guy, a good guy, he's a new supervisor. This is his first year as, on the board. And he voted along with uh, eight of his other colleagues. It was nine to one to support this EIR and support Sharp Park. Mm -hmm. And I want to just read you a quote from what he said before he voted. And this is what he said. The irony of it all, that we have an existing working man's golf course designed by a Scottish immigrant that would be restored, that would then, in the end, be the reason why we have the opportunity to protect two of the most endangered species in Northern California. That's one irony that shouldn't be lost. He got it, Kyle. Sure. He got it, and, and it's because all the golfers took the time to write letters and educate the non-golf community about the value of this special place. Um, so we were just elated at the result, um, and we're already moving forward to try and go to the, the next step, which is, you know, one small thing at a time, seeing where we can maybe, you know, do a little bit of tree work, work on a few greens, slowly take this course from where it is now to where it was 80 years ago. I know it sounds backwards, but we want to roll the clock back and bring the Alistair McKenzie magic that's kind of, some of it's sort of worn off a little bit. We want to reburnish the, the trophy so it shines brightly for all the world to see. No, I, I could not uh, I could not agree more. And I, I mean, just as a golfer, but just as a Bay Area resident, it's, I, I owe you and, and Richard and everybody at the San Francisco 
Public Golf Alliance a huge debt of, of gratitude and thanks because the way you guys were able to galvanize and, and, and do that is just really impressive and it's just very, very exciting. And uh, no, I'm very, very excited to see uh, what lies ahead uh, for the golf course down there at Sharp Park. Now, before I go in, before we get more into kind of, you know, what's next and because I'm truly fascinated about, you know, what uh, what is to come in terms of the restoration at Sharp Park. I mean, you, you talk about Alistair McKenzie. I'm I'm as big of a, an Alistair McCann, McKenzie fanboy as you're going to find. I, I remember my freshman year uh, at university up at Chico um, in my, you know, uh, large group communications class, I did a eight minute long presentation on the life and work of Dr. Alistair McKenzie. And I was looking around because, you know, maybe 10 people in the entire crowd of 150 folks uh, played golf. And of those, maybe one person knew who I was talking about. But the passion that I had for him and his work, it actually ended up, you know, creating quite a buzz. And I, I was one of the only students afterwards to actually have to field questions about their presentation. So uh, yeah, that, oh, good that, for you. Yeah, that was a little Wonderful. side note here. But no, I, I absolutely love it. And uh, it, it's really fascinating. Now, a question that I have for you, Bo is, you know, as you said, you've been playing Sharp Park since the 60s, and since the original Alistair McKenzie design back in the 30s, the golf course has gone through some major changes, mostly due to what I understand to be, you know, uh, uh, was it the, some sort of a wave where uh, something got knocked out and part of the land that the golf course used to occupy was no longer usable. Is that correct? No, that's not correct. Okay. Um, and it's, you're asking a good question because... There were, was a lot of urban legend surrounding uh, what happened, and I think I'm not trying to do an ego trip on no, you. Please. No, please, you guy. are the aforementioned expert. The first expert. guy <laughs> that, that went back and actually researched it, and I, I had I've had some very nice chats with Tom Doak about all this, who is probably the man on on McKenzie, and Tom has been down there several times with us walking mm-hmm. the golf course. Sure. Um, and first of all, I will tell you that. Um, there are three or four of the quote lost holes. They're still there. <laughs> They're still in the dunes. You okay. Can see them. Okay. There's not being used. Um, what happened was this: the golf course uh, had always had some drainage issues and some flooding issues in the winter time. Okay. Anybody mm-hmm. goes down there now knows that sometimes a couple of holes get pretty waterlogged uh, during a certain time of the year. Uh, not unlike courses back east that get snowed out and only open six months a year. I mean, Sharp's open all year round, but there, there are points where it floods. Um, it didn't wash away. That was the urban legend. The, you know, the big tidal storm washed it out to sea. That, that's wrong, the exact thing that I always wrong, heard my whole life. <laughs> didn't happen. Okay. I've got photographs, um, and, and Richard and I did a book on the golf course that, that really tells the story. And we've got photographs in there from... Uh, 1940 and 1941, uh, about six years after Mackenzie died. He died in 1934, of course, opened in 32. So the course been open for eight years. Mm-hmm. Those ocean holes were still being played. I've got pictures of guys playing those holes. Okay. Mm-hmm. There was a bad storm, and what the city decided to do was build a berm, a seawall, if you will. Sure. And that seawall took the space occupied by the two uh, oceanfront holes, okay? They didn't wash away. <clears throat> the city just decided to build that seawall. That was an option that, that they made, okay. that they took. And then they built these four holes that are darn good holes. They're not original McKenzie holes. They're like first cousins because they were built by his construction foreman, Jack Fleming, sure. that are east of Highway 1. Those we call them the canyon holes. So that's how those holes came into existence. But there's still, there's a, a four par and, and a couple of three pars. Uh, there's the space of them and the, and the fairways are still in the dunes out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it wasn't that it washed away. Um, but one of the things that I certainly would commend uh, to our audience um, and to you if you haven't done it is if you go to the Public Golf Alliance website, which is sfpublicgolf.org, we have posted up there the original maps of the course that McKenzie designed. And you should look at them and study them because what you will see when you do is that what Alistair McKenzie built at Sharp Park, you know, has been euphemistically called the poor man's pebble beach. Mm-hmm. Okay. What it really is, is the poor man's Cypress Point. Sure. Okay. Because he put on the ground every design concept 
and dream and experiment that he'd ever cooked up in his laboratory of ideas. Double fairways, double tees. Uh, he recreated his famous Lido hole on both sides of the lagoon. He had camouflage. He had cloud-shaped bunkers, heaving greens. In short, everything you associate with Mackenzie philosophically, he laid down at Sharp Park. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, you know, the only public Mackenzie course by the sea in America. Okay. And it's one of two. He's credited with doing the Eden course at St. Andrews. Um, but Sharp Park is closer to the ocean than, than the Eden course at St. Andrews. Yeah. Um, and I'm just saying it is incredibly unique and unbelievable design. And there are certain aspects of it that we may not be able to bring back because we're probably not going to be able to restore for example, one of the four pars that, that's in the dunes now. But we're hoping to reclaim one of the three pars in those dunes. Mm -hmm. um, we hope to do that as part of the restoration. Um, but it's slow. It's one step at a time. Um, and the promise is there. Um, the dream is there. And believe me, in the wake of this vote, that dream is now coming out of the clouds into focus, into reality. This is just It's so exciting to hear... You know what once was, and I have to admit, I, 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 as you were saying that, I was actually looking at the at one of the original maps of the old golf course, which is a version of it that I had not seen before. But the very, I remember the very first time that I learned about what Sharp Park used to be. I was looking through a a coffee table book uh, that my parents had called Lost Links, and in that right. Sharp Park was one of them, and it had a hand drawn right. layout of what it used to be. And right. you know, I was like, oh my gosh, there didn't used to be any holes east of the highway. And look at all these right. shared fairways. And you know, as I'm looking at it now, and it, it's funny because you know I, I've had the privilege as well of playing a lot of Alistair McKenzie's designs all over the world, and you know to see so many of them, including those multiple Eden holes and the shared fairways, you know it it just it's like you said before, knowing what it once was and what it still could be, it it just gets every golfer's imagination running wild with you know. I, it's, I don't know. It, it's exciting to think about, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm very curious to, to pick your brain a little bit about how much of that old design do you really realistically think can be implemented um, as you know as the restoration does begin to happen. And you, and as, as I'm looking at some of the old ones, I am, am I correct in saying that there's three holes, or is there four holes where that were lost? Because I know there's four holes up in the canyon. So does that mean that there were four holes out there in the dunes that were removed? Let me, let me tell you what, what got lost, and if you're, if you're looking at that map, I can steer you through it. Sure. Um, holes three and seven were the two holes on the beach. Correct. Okay. And when I say they were on the beach, I mean on the beach, okay? <laughs> they weren't 50 yards. They were on the beach, okay? So that's two that are gone. That's where the, the seawall is. Mm -hmm. um, the, the eighth hole which is a dogleg right par four. Um, that one is still down there on the ice plant, but I don't think we will be able to reclaim that. Okay. The, the old fourth hole, which was a three par, we would love to be able to put that back. We are going to fight for it, but we're not sure. Um, and the old sixth hole, which is another three par, that hole we are fairly confident we can and will bring back to life. Okay. Amazing. So those are, I think I've just named five holes. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, you've got four, the other side of the Canyon and where you pick up some holes is, are the, the current 12th hole is a portion of the second hole. The math ends up working out, <clears throat> um, because, um, you've also got restored this little eighth hole, what is now the eighth hole, um, used to be the 14th hole that had been off the rotation for a while, and they put it back in, so that gets us another hole back. Okay. But the 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 short of it is, Kyle, that there are now there are 12 holes on the ground that are original holes. Okay. okay. And we're going to Mackenzieize those holes, or I should say, re Mackenzieize. Sure. Okay. We've got the aerials. We can do the bunkers. We can do the greens. We can do all that. Um, how much of the full Lido features we can bring back on the old 5th and 10th holes, that's kind of still to be determined. Some of it would depend on getting some clearance to reshape the edge of the lagoon a little bit. Um, our biological experts tell us that would be really good for the frog and snake, 
Um, but whether we're going to be fully able to do that, we don't know. But the point is, we do believe fully that we're going to take two-thirds of that original course, and it's going to live again. And then we're going to take the four canyon holes. And with the help of Jay Blasey, who's been helping us as an architect, a terrifically talented young guy, and Tom Doak and others, um, we're going to – it's sort of like what would Alistair do if he were – sculpt in those holes mm-hmm. and to redo those holes in his image. Sure. Um, so it's going to be a fantastic facility, and the idea is to do this with, with philanthropic money so it can be done as a gift without uh, spiking the green fees. The The last thing we, we want to do is to have anybody who plays the course now not be able for the economics to be able to play it when we're done with it. That's not the program. Absolutely. Um, the program is you're there now. We want you, we want you there later on too. Absolutely, and you know, I think uh, I think you hit the nail on the head because I have heard people uh, refer to to Sharp Park as the poor man's Pebble Beach. But even though I've also heard that same you know uh, saying go for places like Pacific Grove and other things like that, I think you hit the nail on the head when you say it's really like the poor man's Cypress Point. One, because that way the architect actually lines up. But two, uh, I mean, it really is that close to the ocean, and it is on that spectacular um, a piece of. I mean, I believe Alistair McKenzie himself said that no man has ever had the privilege of designing a golf course on such a beautiful piece of land as he you know he had at his disposal when he designed Cypress Point and Sharp Park you know it, it's so funny because I didn't know about the freshwater and him actually building the laguna um mm-hmm. you know it that the piece of land that Sharp Park sits on is as nice a piece of property as a golf course has been allowed to occupy that I can think of in all of the bay area I mean outside of maybe the par 3 course that they have at uh, Olympic Club I mean it, it's as good as it gets yeah, it, it, that's right. And, you know, Mackenzie himself, you know, in, in the spirit of St. Andrews, talked about the golfing ground in San Francisco uh, in the area where Harding and Sharp is, is some of the best ground he'd ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when Sharp uh, was on the drawing board, it was described as the second St. Andrews. And Mackenzie himself said it, it's as sporty as the old course itself when he got done with it. Um, and, you know, judge it by the source. <laughs> he knows what he's talking about. Uh, it, it isn't me pontificating. It's it's uh, Rembrandt talking sure. about painting he just did. <laughs> um, and you know, it's it's one of these things again. You just how lucky are we to to have this? And and you know, to every red blooded golfer, gosh, shouldn't you be standing up to fight for it if it's under attack? Absolutely, absolutely. It's our duty to it's our duty to do it. Um, and, and, you know, it's, yeah, Rich and I might be the, the sled dogs or the bell cows or whatever you want to say, but you know, it's not just us. It's not just us. We get help from so many people and, and we couldn't have done this without all that help. Um, so I mean, it's very gratifying to see people rallying to the cause and, uh, uh, it, it's all good. It's all no, good. That, that is great. So but before I jump, because I have to admit, I'm so fascinated to learn about everything that's going to be happening from this point going forward. But before we do that, I'm just really curious about how you and Richard were able to get such um, a loyal following and get so many you know, golfers in the Bay Area and San Francisco to join forces. How, how were you guys able to so you know, successfully reach out to people and galvanize a group of folks to be able to stand up and save something like Sharp Park? Well, I... I... I will tell you, it's not like you snap your fingers and everybody says, I'm in. Yeah, right. Okay, it's not, it's not that easy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but part of it is we spent a lot of time, a lot of time, Kyle, talking to people, just sitting down and having a beer or a glass of whiskey or a <laughs> cup of coffee. Or all uh, three. Talking and, and talking to people about what's at stake. And there's a funny story about all this that in – gosh, I don't know, 2005 or 2006 or so, Rich and I were speaking at an evening meeting down at Sharp. And uh, they were worried about what was going to happen to the golf course. And, and we were saying, it's right on the heels of, of Harding Park, which some, some people felt like, like they were uh, done raw because the green fees went up so high when, when Harding was converted. Mm-hmm. I think the green fees are still reasonable if you get out in the world, but to some people who weren't used to it, it was, it was a shock to some people, and they were upset about it, and they thought that's what Rich and I were going to do at Sharp, and they booed us out of the room. Okay, wow. 
And we told him, we said, you guys, look, even if, if you don't like us, get the message because these people who are coming after you, they got a bullseye on you. Okay, you're in their crosshairs, mm-hmm. and just you're going to have to stand up and fight them. Okay, whether it's with us or somebody or whatever, but you're going to have to do it. They didn't believe us. They didn't. The same people now buy us a drink when we walk in there. Okay, mm-hmm. because they again they understand because we taught them, we showed them, um, and uh, what what you really tap into at the end of the day is golfers love their game, and and it's a way of life. And we will fight to save our way of life because uh, it's worth fighting for. And, and people want to participate. Um, you know, I'm one of these guys who say, geez, could you write a check? Could you do this? Could you do that? And you don't get everything from everybody. It's okay. Mm-hmm. But they want to help. And they help in the ways that they're able to help. And that's what this campaign is. And that's what it always will be. There's no price for admission. There are no dues to join the public golf alliance. It's free. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, Rich and I don't draw a salary. This is all volunteer work. It, it's a labor um, of love, and it, it's exactly what it is. And and you know, I'm not saying it, it's it's always easy, uh, and every day's a happy day. There's some real struggles with this thing, but at the end of the line, um, we're dedicated. And there's one thing our opponents have learned: we never quit. <laughs> and we're never going to quit, okay? And and the 6,500 people who are in that foxhole with us aren't going to quit either. And that's how you do this thing. And we're not winning because we got 6,500 people. We're winning because we happen to be right, and the truth is on our side. Mm-hmm. And we've got a got a story to tell, and we're telling it, and we're effective at telling it because it's true. Um, believe me, uh, truth trumps spin. Um, and, uh, and that's what it's about mm-hmm. now, which is fantastic. I mean, I got to say, Bo, you're giving me some goosebumps, you know, just getting so excited about Sharp Park and McKenzie and, and, you know, people uniting together for a common cause. It, it's just, uh, you know, I think, you know, all the things that you said about having the truth on your side and being passionate, um, are great, but it also certainly seems like it takes a, a compelling figure for, uh, to lead that people want to follow and, uh, you know, just just talking to you now for you know a little over half an hour, I'm I'm getting that vibe, and uh, I think you were very appropriate, uh, a very appropriate person to lead this charge because you've got the passion, um, and you know it's just really really cool to talk to you now. Uh, before we again before we go into it, I'm curious about your experience at Sharp Park. So you told me that you've been playing Sharp Park uh, since the '60s, and I know yeah. that you said um, 12 of the 18 holes currently are at least in the same layout or the same place that they're, uh, they're right there they're where they were in 1932 right so that that being said i know that you know the golf course itself uh other than there being six holes currently that weren't there before i would imagine that a lot of the course you know especially the bunkering you know the one thing that people always identified dr mckenzie with is his really beautiful style of bunkering which w- when i've been to sharp park in the past i haven't seen it what kind of changes have you seen at the golf course since you began playing it um several decades well, ago well I will tell you that, that there, there's one of the, the most interesting facets of golf course architecture for me mm-hmm. is how golf courses age and how they change. And what, what people may not always appreciate is that a golf course is alive. It's, it's, it's like an organism. That, it's living, it, breathing it art. It. You got it. And, and, for example, you can build a really uh, a very flowery McKenzie-type bunker, and if some maintenance worker comes along with the wrong tool and wipes out the edges well it's not a mckenzie bunker anymore (laughs) okay that's one of the things that occurred at sharp park there wasn't anything malicious about it Mm -hmm. it was it was what i would call benign neglect okay okay um just you know the city god love them didn't take care of it and and that's sort of a, a vicious cycle because it got away from them. Right. All right. And, you know, you look back now and you go, how could they let this happen? Well, it does happen. Mm-hmm. And, and it also happens in part. Um, the golf community, I think, and uh, the public golf community, for example, I think really took a lot of these courses for granted. And I'm not indicting anybody. I'm not criticizing anybody. It's natural. Mm-hmm. They're there. They think they're inevitable, that they're there. They're always going to be there. 
And if there's one lesson I've learned in all this is nothing's inevitable. You want something, you got to fight for it. Mm-hmm. You want the city to take care of it, you got to demand that they take care of it. And look, the city's got a lot of other things to take care of. Uh, soccer fields, baseball fields, public schools, uh, buses, streetcars, cable cars. Um, there's a lot of things that, that take bites out of a budget. And Sharp Park got left behind. And so... There are spots on the golf course where there's no bunker now where an architect looking at it says, and I've had him show me, here's where the bunker was. He went here and here and here and here and here. Or you'll you'll look at a green complex, and and I can do it now. I've got some architectural um, training Mm -hmm. that you can see, ah, this green went all the way over there and went over that bump and into that hollow. And you can see where these things were. Um, You know, McKenzie built huge greens. The greens Massive at Sharp Park are not huge. They're not huge. Mm-hmm. And they've just shrunk up is all that's happened. Yeah. And so, the, you know, the bones are there, as, as folks would say. Um, and fortunately, we've got the maps, we've got the aerials, um, and we've got the plans. I mean, this, this, this is going to happen. Oh, man, that's so um, exciting. It, it, may, it may unfold one hole at a time. It's going to happen. Um, and it's going to take some time. And, and you know, what, what I just say to people is be patient but most importantly just stay with us until the job is done because we're going to get it done and it's going to be a great thing not just for us i mean um it's 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 for a generation that hasn't even been born yet so that they know mckenzie and they know the game just the way you and i know it mm-hmm. um you know I, I started out this interview a half hour ago golf is 500 years old for a reason and one of the reasons is Folks like you and me and the people who are listening care about it and they want it to continue and they want to preserve it and they want to participate in the preservation of it. And so that's, that's what's going to, you know, that's the wind and the sails of this boat. Exactly right. Well, okay. So going, going forward here, Bo, um, so now that the, the plan or, you know, the, the Board of Supervisors has voted to designate Sharp Park as a historical area that, uh, you know, essentially approving the plan to move forward with restoring the golf course. What, what do you think is going to be the first course of action? And how do you see the timeline going in terms of the sequence of events to eventually get the golf course back to its former glory in terms of, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be some tree clearance first. I, I know that irrigation is, is a big thing at Sharp Park. I mean, I've got uh, two of my closest, closest friends are uh, Terra Nova high school graduates who were on the high school golf team and Sharp Park was their home course. Mm-hmm. And, right. you know, they, they have a real love-hate relationship with Sharp Park because they know how wonderful it is, but they were always so bummed out that during golf season, their home course was essentially, um, you know, kind of a muddy swamp. And they're like, and they were kind of like, you know, right. they, I, don't, I don't want to make them seem like they didn't like it because they loved it, but they were just bummed out that they couldn't show off their golf course in a more um, – appealing light. So I would assume that's going to be one of the first things, but how, how do you exactly see the restoration um, playing out in terms of the phases that are going to go down uh, to, to get well, it Well, no, that's, that is the eternal question. Like a lot of this, it's very complicated. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, I'm going to answer the question, but let me give you a little Please. Uh, preface. Take as much time as that you like. If, if you talk to, if you talk to people in government who have dealt with Sharp and the many issues that surround it, they will almost universally say they have never encountered a project that is more complicated than this one. You've got the Army Corps of Engineers, the Coastal Commission, the City of Pacifica, the County of San Mateo, the North Coast Regional Water Quality Control District, the City and County of San Francisco, California Fish and Game, Federal Fish and Wildlife, Department of the Interior. I'm just getting warmed up now. <laughs> Okay, and and you have to satisfy all those agencies, including the constituency at the golf course and and golfers themselves, diverse, different people like different things. So there's a lot of prongs on this fork, if you will. And the the first issue probably is the determination of who going forward is going to take the operational responsibility for the property. Is the city and county of San Francisco going to do it? San Mateo County has expressed interest in operating the golf course. 
and they've been negotiating with the city to try and work that out. There have been suggestions about whether the GGNRA, there's another constituency I haven't even mentioned yet, Mm -hmm. might be interested in having that golf course be part of that natural preserve. The GGNRA generally doesn't want to run a golf course, okay? Okay. And that that may not be viable. But the point is, it's this, this one determination is who's going to run it, okay? That's the first thing. The second thing related to that is, you know, I mentioned the seawall. And that is a facility that needs some work, some maintenance work, okay? Mm-hmm. City and County of San Francisco has responsibility for it. It's in Pacifica. Um, and it doesn't just protect the golf course and the species. It protects two neighborhoods, north and south of the golf course. And one reason why environmentalists should want that seawall maintained is if it ever gets breached and salt water comes in here, it's a huge problem for the species. Mm-hmm. Okay, it can wipe them out. Sure. And so that's an issue that's in play, getting that determined. Leaving those two to one side, the if one were to go in and install a new irrigation system, now I haven't mentioned drainage, I'm just saying irrigation system, sure. that may require an EIR or some kind of environmental analysis. You might be able to get out of it without having to do a full EIR, but the point is you don't just get a permit and go do it. Right. Okay. Coupled with that would be maybe some you know, targeted, uh, focused grading work to control how the water drains and where it flows, okay? And once again, you do have environmental issues with that because where that water goes can affect the species and can affect the habitat. And you just have to study. You have to have the right professionals. And it's not as simple as somebody going and says, I think we ought to do this, and you get a backhoe and you cut the, cut the trench. That's not the way it happens. Right. So, so you got that. Um, one of the things that we think can be done is we may be able to go in as an example, and there's a real McKenzie predicate for this, maybe do a couple of green complexes to show the world what we're talking about in real time. Sure. So they can see, guys, this is what this thing used to look like as one example. And we think we may be able to do that without environmental clearance because it doesn't raise a significant environmental issue. Um, And that is one thing in play. Another item that um, Richard and I have toyed with that we would like to be able to do is to create a new practice putting green down there. Mm. And what we would like to do is there's, you have to know the territory a little bit down there. There's some room where the current practice green could be expanded a little bit and we could create a mini Himalayas, if you know what that is at St. Andrews. I've played the Himalayas and also similar to what uh, Bannon Dunes has recently built in the last couple years as the punch bowl up there. That's right. That's right. And and that is something that we've been studying and we'd like to be able to do, but there are complicated issues. You know, is it going to increase the maintenance load for the staff? Um, Can we get volunteer labor in to take care of it? How does that fit in with union labor contracts? And again, we're trying to be good neighbors. We're not trying to you know, ramrod something over sure. somebody, but these are all ideas that, that I am confident, and I know Richard's confident, we'll work them out, you know. Um, we're, we've never been in position to work them out because we've had this noose dangling around our neck for 10 years that we're now, uh, that rope has been cut, mm-hmm. okay, and that noose ain't getting uh, furled up and tied up again, <laughs> okay. We're done with that. Um, we, we, we're very confident of that, you know, knock on wood, but... But we're on the back nine of this thing, and the wind is at our back. There's just a lot of work to be done, and I would ask people to be patient, stay with us. Um, Believe me, you may not see things happening. We're working on it every single day, every day, 24-7, 365, if you want the Silicon Valley vernacular. (laughs) Every day we work on this thing, and you just try and take it forward a little bit, and... uh, um, if we didn't love it and we weren't committed, we wouldn't be doing it. And, uh, uh, it'll happen. It will happen. And, you know, one of the, the lines I say to anybody who's wants to participate in this is we're not just going to restore history. We're going to make history. Um, cause we're going to show the world 
what a real public golf course, environmentally sensitive, historically intact, can mean to a community. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this, this golf course is, is really as if Alistair McKenzie took a slice of Scotland and transplanted it to this little community on the California coast. Because that's what it is. You go in the bar there, you go in the restaurant there. You know, it's not a fancy place. I, I love how not fancy but the clubhouse is. That's the whole point. Yeah. Is that it's, it's a gathering place. Now, the clubhouse needs work, and that's on our list of things to do is to restore that. Um, and, and I want to emphasize, it's not to put a five-star restaurant in there. We want the same vibe in that bar. We just want a good electrical system. We want a, a kitchen that's sanitary and sure. and does all that. And and there's enough room. If somebody wanted to have a, a meeting there, they could have a meeting there. If you want to do that, that's fine, because uh, there are groups that meet there. And uh, uh, it, it's trying to, you know, in a way, say to a neighborhood, um, we can we can kick you up a notch, but keep the same neighborhood and keep the same neighbors. Um, and, uh, and we're going to do that. That would just be so cool. So uh, a follow-up question when you say the first step is going to figure out who's going to manage the property. Um, so obviously there's a couple different uh, entities or organizations and groups that are, it sounds like they're bidding or you know vying to take over the management responsibilities. Is that management company going to then be um, the governing body or I should just say the, the, you know, the group responsible for the restoration? Well, it could be. I mean, for example... If San Mateo, or San Francisco for that matter, mm-hmm. if San Francisco wants to continue operating the golf course, they've already been doing it for 85 years, right. and, and wants to do a restoration, we would be in line to at least help them get the right people, bring philanthropic money to the table. Maybe there's a, some kind of a nonprofit entity that's formed to do that. You know, we have gotten a lot of help from the Alistair McKenzie Foundation, sure, um, which is a group that's been founded by people who are dedicated to saving McKenzie golf courses. And the reason they're so enamored with Sharp Park is it's a public McKenzie golf course. Um, which there's and, only two of in all of the United States, and they're both in Northern California. Right, but they're, right, they're, they're, right. You know, One of them, obviously, Pasatiempo, is, is, it, that is this golf course that got me interested in golf course architecture back when I was 14. Sure. But you know, at the same yeah. time, Paso Tiempo, as wonderful as it is, it's it's not affordable for a lot of people. And exactly. Ha- and that's right. And and that's, again, that's the charm of Sharp Parkley. Where do you get something like this for like 35 bucks for a round of golf? I mean, uh, it's unbelievable. It doesn't currently exist, which is, just, yeah. I think that's part of what makes it so exciting. Now, do, do you right. think that as this restoration project, um, you know, begins and starts to, you know, get going, do you anticipate or see uh, like one person kind of leading and heading the project as like a full-time job? And uh, the thing that comes to mind is uh, um, like Howard McKee, uh, back when Bannon Dunes was being formed. Mike Kaiser uh, hired a gentleman by the name of Howard McKee who had, you know, uh, an urban, uh, what was it, like an urban design economics background who um, basically he tasked with leading and navigating all of the different government agencies to kind of get the clearance, get the permits to eventually end up building what became the Bannon Dunes Golf Resort. Do you anticipate there being somebody kind of like that who is tasked with managing everything and managing the whole restoration project as kind of their full-time occupation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I think I think that's true. Um, and and what it may be, it may be an official in San Francisco. It may be an official in San Mateo County. It may be somebody like Howard McKee. Um, you know, there are a lot of a lot. One of the things that's great about this project, Kyle, mm-hmm. there are a lot of people that want to do it. Absolutely. Okay. Me being one of them. And, and, <laughs> and, that's a, and, that's, and that's a good problem to have. But again, it's, there, there are certain details that we have to get through to get there. Sure. Okay. Um, and it, for example, it's, it's, this is a publicly owned property, and it's always going to be a publicly owned property. You know, you know a lot of people you know, criticized us in the early days saying, you're going to privatize the golf course. And, and the answer is absolutely not. It's, it is public, it's always going to be public, and it's always going to be affordable, mm-hmm. okay? Um, but, yeah, you need somebody with the baton to lead the orchestra. Right. And, and that, that will happen. Um, it's just that's a few steps down the road. Okay. 
No, we're just we're just or very down cool. the fairway, as I should say. <laughs> so, and and you told me that you've actually had the opportunity to kind of walk the property with a bunch of various golf course architects. Now, um, yeah. obviously, the the one that you mentioned, Tom Doak, who you know, not only just being you know a huge fan of Alistair McKenzie. I mean, he's written a book on Alistair McKenzie. I believe he did most of the restoration for Pasatiempo when it was redone uh, like a 10, 15 years ago. So nobody's more familiar with working on McKenzie golf courses than Tom Doak. Um, outside of Tom, what kind of an, kind of an architect or what, what exactly are you looking for in a, you know, a designer to come in, uh, that would make them in your opinion, be qualified to kind of lead a project like this, or maybe you are, you're planning on having uh, a group of our architects and designers come in and consult on the project. How, how do you see that part we've, of the process we've, going? We've, we've actually talked about all that stuff. Okay. Um, and whether it's feasible to have a group of architects doing one golf course, don't know. We, we've met with Tom a number of times, and he is great. And I mentioned another name earlier on, a young fellow named Jay Blasey, yes. who has his own firm. And uh, Jay used to be with the Jones office uh, in Palo Alto. He's now on his own. Um, and Jay is a very thoughtful, very, very talented guy who's been with us from the start. And he and Tom have been consulting and, and advising us on, here's how we could, could put back the old sixth hole, here's what this might look like, here's what that might look like, this is what this might cost. And so right now, they're kind of our brain trust on that. And, uh, you know, I always kid everybody, you know, I've won the McKenzie Architecture Contest a couple times, but now I'm, now I'm playing the real McKenzie. Now you're contest. living it. <laughs> okay, now I'm living it. Um, uh. but, but I'm not the guy who's doing this. Um, it'll be somebody like Jay and Tom, maybe Jay and Tom together. Maybe there'll be some other hands on the deck. Um, but the other thing is going to be getting a really good team of shapers to you know, do the greens and do the bunkering. But we'll do that. We'll, Certainly. We'll, that'll happen. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and like I say, all good problems to have. Um, but there's one thing, if I could sort of maybe leave with a message. Please. It's that I don't want anybody to think that the hard work is done. Okay. This is just, we've just kind of made the clubhouse turn. Maybe we had a hamburger at the ninth green. Okay. <laughs> Now we've got to go to the 10th team and play the back nine, okay? Uh, and even if the wind's at our back, uh, we got we got nine more holes to play. And with uh, a lot of with and, a lot of forced carries and slick tabletop greens. And, and and people out there who still will snipe at us. Sure. Um, and uh, you know we're 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 feeling good um, as I think we should. We're proud of what we've done. Uh, but we know we got a lot more work to do and a lot more friends to make and people to talk to and, and hurdles to leap and putts to hit and, and things to hole out and all that stuff. Um, and we'll keep doing that. Oh, that's so fantastic. Well, I'll tell you what, you've got one, an, another supporter right here, Bo. And I, I, as we're having this conversation, I'm making sure that I join the San Francisco Public Golf Alliance. Now, um, but before uh, we let you go, uh, I, I want to give you every opportunity to make sure that any all of our listeners here uh, can find you guys online, on social media. So um, you said the website is sfpublicgolf.org. Where else can people uh, learn more about the San Francisco um, Public Golf Alliance? You know, you're, you're asking the wrong guy about social media. Um, <laughs> but um, we're on, if, you, if you do San Francisco Public Golf on Twitter and Facebook, we're on there. we got a page on Facebook, got all that stuff going on. Um, and the website will will key you into all of that. Okay. Um, because I, I'm going to do it while we're talking. Well, as you're doing um, that, I also saw there's a, in, for any other events or things like that that you'd like to promote, I, I saw something about an Alistair McKenzie tournament. Um, I'm going to tell you about that in one second. Okay. If people do want to uh, uh, participate, that's maybe the, the greatest way to do it. Awesome. Um, um, yeah, we have a tournament once a year uh, to commemorate the golf course and um this year's event is going to be on june 3rd and if you go to our website sfpublicgolf.org you'll see all the the links to twitter and facebook and instagram and all that stuff um and you can join you can donate you can pull a uh, uh an entry form for the tournament uh people can sponsor holes they can bring a foursome to sign up by themselves it's it's an all-day thing you know, we have morning shotgun afternoon shotgun some fun food it's it's just a smokingly good vibe i'll just <laughs> tell you that oh, and it's really cool and uh you know, this is our sixth one doing it 
and I think if you go on the website, I haven't uh, done this recently, but you'll see uh, a lot of times you'll see videos and stuff of uh, of the event and all that. So it, it's all there. Um, and I hope people follow that. Sign up uh, to be a member of the Public Golf Alliance and uh, come on out to the golf tournament. Oh, that's so great. All right, but before I let you go, I got two rapid-fire questions for you. Yeah. Okay, so as a man, obviously, who loves Alistair McKenzie, but, uh, your all-time dream foursome, dead or alive, of people within the golf industry, I would imagine it's you. Is it bad to assume that perhaps Dr. McKenzie would be in your foursome as well? Yeah, it'd probably be Alistair McKenzie, Bobby Jones, and my friend Sandy Tatum. That's That's a pretty... Pretty good sounding four, four ball right there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll bring, I'll bring up the rear. Oh, perfect. Now, okay, and then the last one I have for you is um, since on, on the podcast and for Golf Guide and Golf Guide Magazine, we mostly just cover golf courses on the West Coast and golf travel. Um, three, if you could only play three golf courses on the West Coast for the rest of your life, and we'll, we'll just leave Sharp Park of it out of it because you know, just let's just say for the sake of the question, you're not allowed to choose Sharp Park. Three golf courses on the West Coast that you'd play for the rest of your life? Well, one of them for sure would be Cypress Point. Mm -hmm. um, I think another one would probably be the Meadow Club. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking. So far, uh, you and me may I, already have two out of the three of the same. <laughs> there, there's, yeah, there's so many places. Uh, um, you know, maybe Pacific Dunes. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, I can play any course up there and, and be a happy guy. Absolutely. And, you know, and, you know, I've always liked Claremont country club. I love Harding. Uh, there, there, again, there's Monterey Peninsula spyglass. I mean, how, how do you do this? I mean, it's like, it's an it's impossible like question. Got, it's like somebody who's got 10 kids. You say, well, who's your favorite kid? Well, I love them all <laughs> and I'm not picking. I'm not picking, so there. Oh, that's so funny. Now, uh, now that I'm thinking of it, can I ask you, do you have time for one more question, Bo? Well, I'm not um, sure. Yeah, how often do you uh, make your way up to the Russian River? Because the the only other ultra affordable public Mackenzie golf course um, that I know of would be Northwood up in Monterio. Is there anything that you've so, seen them do up at Monterio that you um, would think about implementing at Sharp Park? Well, I, I will tell you that I think Monterio or uh, uh, Northwood is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Okay, and and there's what's to implement at Sharp Park is Sharp Park. Okay. Um, and, and I don't say there's any disrespect. There's no need to copy anything from any other place. Right. It's sharp. You know what other people ought to do? They ought to copy sharp. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, um, the golf course is there. Mackenzie's bones are on the ground. It's okay. We got the skeleton. We can put the meat on those bones. Sure. Um, and and the the culture and the feeling among the people down there is so palpable and so real and so rich that that. Why would you want anything else? You know, you know, if you go, Kyle, into a bar in St. Andrews, you can sit down with a total stranger and start talking golf. Doesn't matter who they are. They might be a judge. They might be a ditch digger. <laughs> and you know what? It's the same thing in that little bar at Sharp Park. Um, it's, it's that real, that profound, and that special. And uh, so you know, um, all good. And we're, we're honored and proud and happy to have a hand in returning it to its rightful place in the golf world. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, you know what, Bo, I think that is a magnificent, uh, point to end on. I, I do hope the, my hope is that as the, the project starts to get underway and, you know, I, I'd imagine this process is going to take several years, you know, perhaps even more. And I hope that, uh, you and I have many more opportunities to, to talk, uh, on the podcast and you know as we get more updates and we kind of learn more about what the project is going to be doing and how it's taking shape because this is not only a story that I'm fascinated in but not only every Bay Area golfer every West Coast golfer but every lover of golf course architecture and of golf courses this is something that I think is very near and dear to all of our hearts and something that we're really looking forward to not only learning about but helping you and Richard uh, you know become a reality. So listen, that that's wonderful, Kyle, and, and you know how to reach me. I'm happy to do that. But if I could ask something of you, it's a real simple formula. Please spread spread the word. You got it. And, and like spread I said, spread the word. And anything that I can do, whether it be on the podcast, whether it be in Golf Guide magazine, um, th this is something you know 
that uh, we would absolutely love to give you a hand with. I mean, you know, this it, anything that promotes golf, especially affordable public golf, is something I am 100% on board with, and I don't think you're going to find too many people uh, that would argue otherwise. <laughs> well, good. So, look, go to the website. You'll see some great photos and stuff there about the tournament. It's just a, a roaring good time. June 3rd, Sharp Park. Be there. Mahalo. Perfect, Bo. Thank you so much, and thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, Bo, you're wonderful, and we'll talk again soon, okay? You got it, Kyle. All right, thanks, Bo. Once again, thank you very much to Mr. Bo Links and to the San Francisco Public Golf Alliance for joining us on this uh, episode of the Golf Guide podcast. Uh, As always, this episode was proudly presented by GolfGuide.net. Thank you once again uh, to everybody for listening. If you are a fan of the podcast, I strongly encourage you Uh, to leave us a review on iTunes uh, and subscribe. Any and all support from you guys is greatly appreciated. I really thank you guys for listening to this episode um, as well as every other episode we've published in the past. And uh, we'll be back next week. I believe we're going to be with Casey. And uh, yeah, we got a lot of fun stuff to talk about. A little bit of professional golf with the Masters being uh, a little less than three weeks away uh, and some more news regarding golf courses and travel here on the West Coast. So thanks again, everybody. Have a wonderful day.